Good afternoon and welcome to On the Arts, KLW's weekly radio magazine of the performing arts. I'm your host, David Latulipe. Today you'll be hearing about the Bay Area Cabaret's 13th season from the gentleman who's opening the season, Joshua Henry. Plus, from Cal Performances, Jeremy Geffen, the executive and artistic director, will tell us about what's in store for the rest of the very eclectic and interesting Cal Performances season at Zellerbach Hall. Plus, Aryeh Nussbaum-Cohen, countertenor, is soloist with American Box Soloists next weekend. I'll be talking with him about his career and more. Plus, some preview of upcoming things in the performing arts in the Bay Area. All coming up after this hour's news from the BBC. Stay with us. Hello, I'm David Harper with the BBC News. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has insisted his country will be launching a ground invasion of the Gaza Strip after receiving domestic criticism over its apparent delay. Speaking on primetime television, he said troops were preparing to enter the besieged territory, saying the timing of the offensive would be reached by consensus. Heavy artillery and airstrikes were launched on Gaza around the time of Mr Netanyahu's address. Our correspondent in Jerusalem, Paul Adams, explains why Israel's ground offensive hasn't happened yet. He did say that the government and the chief of staff of the army had agreed unanimously on the timing of a ground invasion, but that's not quite the same as saying a date has been set. We've been hearing lots of talk about humanitarian pauses, the Americans, the Canadians, and I think some European governments have been urging some kind of pause in hostilities. For whatever reasons, it does seem as though this is still somewhat on hold, The hostage issue, of course, is another factor in all of that. We could be in this holding pattern for some time to come. Al Jazeera says the wife and two children of its Gaza bureau chief have been killed by an Israeli airstrike. While Dahdu was filmed mourning over the bodies of his seven-year-old daughter Sham and teenage son Mahmoud, the network said several other members of his family were missing after the house in the Nusayrat refugee camp in central Gaza, where they were staying, was destroyed. A rocket fired from the Gaza Strip has hit an apartment building in the Israeli city of Rishon LeZion, near Tel Aviv. Local media say three people were wounded. The rocket was part of a barrage sent from the Palestinian territory towards central Israel. The UN Security Council has rejected two opposing US and Russian drafted resolutions that had sought to pause the fighting between Israel and Hamas and open the flow of humanitarian aid into Gaza. The impasse has highlighted the deep global divide over the war, with the ten non-permanent Security Council members now saying they could put forward their own compromise proposal. Neda Taufik reports from New York. Russia and China said they vetoed the U.S. draft resolution because it did not call for a ceasefire, and they felt it would give a green light to further escalation of the war. The UAE also voted against the proposal, saying the priority of any resolution had to be valuing Palestinian life equally to Israelis. The United States, meanwhile, accused Russia of trying to score political points and further divide the council. The elected 10 members of the Security Council now say they will attempt to produce their own text, as they are obliged to maintain international peace and security and to safeguard civilians. In his latest comments, the U.S. President Joe Biden said he believed Israel needed to defend its citizens while protecting innocent civilians in Gaza. He said they were the victims of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. You're listening to the latest world news from the BBC. 
The US House of Representatives has elected a new Republican speaker, ending three weeks of paralysis caused by party infighting. Mike Johnson, a Conservative ally of Donald Trump, was the fourth candidate put forward for the role after Kevin McCarthy was ousted by Republican hardliners. Here's our Washington correspondent, David Willis. An evangelical Christian and an opponent of abortion rights and same-sex marriage, Mr Johnson is perhaps best known as the leader of an unsuccessful attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in states where Donald Trump was defeated. Having succeeded where previous nominees failed in garnering the support of both the mainstream and the right wing of the Republican Party, his challenge will be preserving that unity in the face of impending discussion over aid for Israel and Ukraine and measures to prevent the shutdown of the US government. The defeated centre-right candidate in Argentina's presidential election has backed the libertarian Javier Millet in the runoff next month. Patricia Bullrich said the country needed a change after years of left-wing government. Last week's first round saw the economy minister Sergio Massa secure a surprise victory against Mr Millet, with Ms Bullrich coming third. Security forces in Venezuela have taken control of a second gang-run prison after raising the Tocuyito facility southwest of the capital Caracas. The Interior and Justice Minister Remigio Ceballos said they'd found a large amount of weapons and ammunition. It comes just over a month after police and soldiers took over the Tocoran prison. A Democratic member of the U.S. House of Representatives has been charged with falsely pulling a firearm and fire alarm in the U.S. Capitol last month, prompting the evacuation of an adjacent building. His party had been trying to delay a key vote on a potential U.S. government shutdown. At the time, the New York congressman, Jamal Bowman, said he'd pulled the alarm by mistake. BBC News. This is Suni Khalid, news editor here at KALW. In case you missed it, the state DMV has suspended the permit of crews to operate self-driving cars in San Francisco. And graduation rates at the California State Universities remain stalled since the end of the pandemic. You can hear these stories as well as others from our partners at NPR and the BBC by logging onto our website at KALW.org. Meanwhile, keep your dial set on 91.7 for KALW, San Francisco Bay Area.
That's a decidedly different take on Tomorrow from Annie, offered by my first guest, Joshua Henry, who will open the 13th season of Bay Area Cabaret this Sunday evening in the Venetian Room at the Fairmont Hotel. Joshua Henry is a Grammy Award-winning performer and recording artist best known for his Tony-nominated leading roles in Carousel, The Scottsboro Boys, and Violet, as well as for his show-stopping performance as Aaron Burr in Hamilton. Last December, Joshua gave a critically acclaimed performance as Gaston in Disney's Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration, live on ABC. He's a BMG recording artist and recently opened for Diana Ross at the Hollywood Bowl. On screen, he starred as Roger Bart in the Academy Award-nominated film Tick, Tick, Boom, directed by none other than Lynn Winwell Miranda of Hamilton fame. Most recently, Joshua starred in the Broadway revival of Into the Woods, for which he won a Grammy Award for his performance as a principal vocalist on the 2022 Broadway revival cast recording. Additional Broadway credits include In the Heights, Waitress, Shuffle Along, American Idiot, Porgy and Bess, Bring It On, the musical, and an off-Broadway, In the Heights, and the Wrong Man. Joshua, welcome to On the Arts, and congratulations, opening the Bay Area Cabaret 13th season. Thank you so much for having me, David, and um, I, I appreciate that that uh, intro. I'm so excited to be back at at the Venetian Room in the Bay Area. Indeed, the very room where Tony Bennett sang his I Left My Heart in San Francisco, among many other amazing artists. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's hallowed sacred ground there. Well, I opened with tomorrow, and I've, I just thought how poignant it is, given, given the news of the day. And we hope the sun will come out tomorrow in so many ways. Absolutely. I mean, that's a song that um, really resonated with me. Um, and I think, yes, now more than ever, I, I can't wait to sing that. Um, and I hope to bring some hope and, and healing to just say that tomorrow, it, look, it's got to be better than today. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of uh, turmoil going right now all over the world. And, um, you know, anytime you can spread a little bit of hope, um, I'm going to take that opportunity to do that. Music is the great healing balm. That's for sure with a B-A-L-M. That is, that's um, clarify that. So what is what is on your playlist and how have you shaped your show for this Sunday? Well, it's been a while since I've been to the Venetian Room. I, I can't remember how many years. It was definitely before the pandemic. But um, uh, since the last time I was there, I've done a couple more Broadway shows. I've released uh, uh, an album. I've released a couple of different singles. So I'm going to give a little mixed bag of uh, some Hamilton, some Carousel, uh, some songs from my um, from my debut album, Grow. Um and, and and a couple other surprises, but it's a. Uh, I might even do a little bit of a, a tick tick boom. All right, um, as a as a song called uh, uh, "Cages or Wings," um, and you know, it's just another a musical that's got a lot of really uplifting messages in there. So it'll be a, a mixed bag. Right. Well, a, a lot of cabaret artists weave in a little personal narrative or offer some sort of anecdotal. Um, stories about about the tunes in the playlist how how are you shaping your your narrative um i'm i'm gonna give a a little bit of a journey through the the broadway shows that i've done and and um how how i've graduated from the broadway shows to sharing my personal music um which has been the thing i've been doing lately um I love being on stage and I love it's really given me a deep appreciation for 
um, for plot and story and, and how to see something from someone else's perspective. But there's nothing like bringing the music that's right inside your heart and sharing that with an audience. So, um, I'll be, you know, weaving my, my heart through the different Broadway, uh, musicals that I've done over the last, uh, 16 years. So, um, yeah, they'll get a, a great mix of that. Where did you first nurture your love of the Broadway musical? You know, I'm somewhat of a late bloomer for those who get involved into Broadway. I, I didn't even know it was a thing until I was like 20 years old. Uh, but I, I did go to this uh, University of Miami School of Music for musical theater. Um, and that's where I, because uh, I loved music always and I loved dance and I had fallen in love with acting and after I uh, left there, I came straight to New York and realized that this was something where I can put all those mediums together. Um, and it, it's always felt really natural for me. Um, while I'm a singer first, uh, being a, a, a well-rounded performer is something that's important to me because I like to perform. I like to give people a, uh, a celebration on their, in their eyes and, and in their ears. So that's, that's always been my focus. Very nice. Now, you said you're a late bloomer. Are there others in your family that were involved in the performing arts scene? <laughs> Not uh, actually. Yeah, my brother's a, a really great play, bass player uh, in South Florida. And and we grew up in a, a band actually called Peanut Butter and Jam Session, um, which mm-hmm. uh, we had so much fun playing in, in South Florida. My, my sister also played piano. But um, I guess I. Yeah, I, I, I'm the only one that's taken it to the the stage. But yeah, I, I have come from a family that's pretty gifted musically. Well, that's good that, you know, it, I've always said that, you know, people who are, you know, blessed to have a professional life in music are super, but it's always nice to have that as a part of your life, no matter what level you experience music, but to experience music. Absolutely. And you don't need to be a professional to, to, to experience it, to, to feel it, to be affected by it. And, I always tell people like get a group of friends together and pull out the guitar, and sometimes that's that fulfills your your soul's need for music. Um, yeah. Uh, in the soundcheck, uh, you mentioned that you were calling in from New Jersey. Is that where home is adjacent to the Big Apple? Or yeah, I, I've been in New York for about seventeen years, and um, it just came the right time. I've got I've got three little boys now. And we decided, you know what, let's just let's see what's on the other side of that 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 river. <laughs> and we've found a wonderful place and um, we're, we're not too far from the city. Um, so uh, it's really worked out great. Nice. I, I, and, and right now in the heart of autumn in New York, I miss it. So I, oh, <laughs> I love I, that's a good song. Maybe I'll cover that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. So I'd, I'd be interested to see your take on it. I was in Bro- I was in Brooklyn for 15 years and there's just something about this time of year when the radiators click on and those leaves turn their magic. <laughs> it's really nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know I'm going to miss it when it, when it, when the leaves start really coming down. Yeah. We're about there right now. I'm going to take a, a side visit to Boston to see some friends and go for a little drive. I think this weekend. What's, so what's the audition routine for you now for upcoming productions? Are you part of like the cattle call world or are you more selective now or what happens? You know what, David? I'm one of the really fortunate ones where at least theatrically speaking, um, I don't have to – I don't audition anymore. I haven't for, for quite some time. It feels <laughs> strange to say that, but it, it, it's true. I remember hearing Sutton Foster, who was a castmate of mine in Violet, say that years ago. And I was like, what does that even mean to say that? And, and here I am, uh, blessedly enough, um, you know, I've 
worked steadily in the theater, done 10 Broadway shows, and they seem to uh, all know me. So, but, you know, for film and television, I definitely have to, (laughs) I definitely do audition and, and I'm relatively still a baby in, in the music world. So, um, I've still got to earn my stripes there. Sure. Well, that said, what's coming up either as an audition or engagement after this that you're looking forward to? Well, there's a couple things that I'm working on in New York. I've been writing a lot. Um, I've been writing a couple musicals. Um, One I've been working on for a while um, with Ross Golan, the incredible songwriter. And this one project is called The Wrong Man. Um, And we're doing a a workshop in New York uh, just... uh, Actually, in, in two weeks. Um, and I'm working on another musical um, called uh, The Conversation with a friend of mine, Julia Harriman. And, you know, it's all about relationships and what happens when the when the spark uh, starts to flicker over over time in a long term r- romantic relationship. Don't get me so, started. You're going to make me cry. All right. David, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. I can't wait to share that music at some point. <laughs> Well, we're going to go out with a track from the revival of Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods, where you were Rapunzel's prince alongside Gavin Creel as Cinderella's prince for the princely duet, Agony. Uh, set that up for us, would you? Agony is is two princes realizing that they're both in love and they have never been turned down before. They don't know what it feels like to be denied what they want. So this song is when they both realize that they're going through the same crazy struggles that so many of us regular folks go through, except they happen to be royalty and have never experienced these things before. Agony. Here's Joshua Henry. You'll hear Gavin Creel first in this music from Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. The Bay Area Cabaret's 13th season gets underway with Joshua Henry starting things off this coming Sunday at 7 p.m. Thanks for taking some time today. Great to be with you, David. Take care, Josh. Did I abuse her or show her disdain? Why does she run from me? If I should lose her, how shall I regain the heart she has won from me? Agony beyond power of speech When the one thing you want is the only thing out of your reach High in her tower she sits by the hour Maintaining her hair Light and becoming and frequently humming A light-hearted air Ah, agony Far more painful than yours When you know she would go with you If there only were doors Agony All the torture they teach What's as intriguing Or half so fatiguing As as what's out of reach Am I not sensitive, clever, well-mannered, considerate Passionate, charming, as kind as I'm handsome An heir to a throne You are everything maidens could wish for Then why no? So why no? The girl must be mad You know nothing of madness Till you're climbing Hair, and you see her up there as you're nearing her, all the while hearing her. Ah, 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 ah. 
always ten steps behind Always ten feet below And she's just out of reach Agony That can cut like a knife I must have her To No egos there at all. The two princes from Into the Woods. You heard Joshua, Henry, and Galvin Creel in Agony, Stephen Sondheim's amazing writing there. You can hear more about the five Sundays that you could spend hearing some intimate music at the Elegant Venetian Room at the Fairmont Hotel at Bay Area Cabaret.org. Joshua Henry starting things off this coming Sunday night at 7. That's the ravishing otherworldly voice, according to Opera News, with the San Francisco Chronicle's Joshua Cosman, adding that the extravagantly gifted countertenor is poised to redefine what's possible for singers of this distinctive voice type. That voice type is Aryeh Nussbaum Cohen. Uh, no strangers to hear in the Bay Area and is recorded with Nicholas McGeegan and Cantata Collective and with Jeffrey Thomas of the American Box Soloists where he returns for a series of performances in the Bay Area next Friday. Aria has recently made his debut at Glenburn in Handel's Semele and returned there this summer to uh, perform in Glenborg's perf- performances of uh, Giulio Cesare as Sesto other season highlights include the Teatro dell'Opera di Roma, Deutsche Oper Berlin, a worldwide tour of Handel's Rodelinda with the English Concert, which comes to Cal Performances next month, Carmina Burana with Hans Graf and the Indianapolis Symphony, where he will sing his first performance as the Roosting Swan. Welcome, Aryeh, and boy... For congratulations on what must be an exhausting but robust and rewarding schedule these days. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, David. Well, for some listeners, well, let's let's first give some some props out to who, what we just heard a little excerpt from uh, Kenneth Fuchs' um, poem for life. Tell us a little bit about that work. Yeah, absolutely. A beautiful work um, setting of twelve poems by Judith G. Wolf. I stepped in uh, about three days before the world premiere of the piece uh, in Virginia. 
for an ailing colleague and then got to record it with the London Symphony Orchestra, which is what you heard. And uh, that was actually my first recording project. Um, it was at, at we recorded at Abbey Road Studios, so uh, quite a way to begin. And then, of course, the CD went on to win a Grammy Award. So it was really, um, you know, a little bit of right place, right time. But I was really uh, delighted to bring those beautiful songs by Kenneth Fuchs to life uh, for the first time. Very nice. Um, and I guess we're having more of a, um, uh, a trio here on the air for On the Arts. I see. I hear a little bit of a dog in the background. Can you, yes, of course. Can our, introduce our your dog. dog. Oh, the neighbor's no, dog. No, it's not even our dog. It's our neighbor's dog, Murphy, <laughs> who, of course, just decided now's the time for his own aria, his, his, little, <laughs> big, his, his big solo on the air. Aria with aria from Dog Next Door. I love it. The joy of, joy of Zoom meetings on radio. Exactly. <laughs> well, now, for some listeners, the sound of a countertenor is, let's say, unexpected. Now, what drew you to the sound as opposed to pursuing a more standard tenor or, or baritone voice? Well, it was kind of a happy accident for me. Uh, I had no intention of pursuing a career in music. Um, I sang in children's choir in Brooklyn, where I grew up with the Brooklyn Youth Chorus. And um, we did a lot of big classical music gigs at Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center. But what I, was really exciting to me was we were singing backup for all these pop stars like Elton John at the Garden and with Billy Joel and Sting and James Taylor. And um, it was a treble choir, high voice choir and my voice dropped, like, you know, most boys when I uh, turned 11 or 12, something like that. And um, I just, I really didn't want to leave the choir because we had just done our Big Elton John gig and uh, didn't want to leave. And so I just kept singing high, uh, not thinking of it as a, a choice, really, or a career, but just so I could stay in the choir. And uh, one thing led to the next. I was studying uh, public policy at Princeton when I saw my first opera. Uh, La Boheme at the Met uh, in New York, and um, always a good, always a good intro. That's for sure. Truly, and that uh, glorious Franco Zeffirelli production in New York. They do. There's really no better first opera. I've now taken uh, most of my close family members and many friends to that exact production for their first operas. Um, good move. But yeah, it uh, yeah, it was just kind of a happy accident. And, and after seeing that opera and uh, you know a couple of other experiences, it, uh, I decided to kind of give the career a shot. But uh, Never thought it would go this well, that's for sure. And and it was really San Francisco Opera and San Francisco that um, first kind of took a chance on me and started everything for me. And uh, I'm, pr- I'm proud to still live here in the Bay Area, uh, I guess, seven years after I first moved here, or first came here. Well, you mentioned we in our little intro, our, our little Brooklyn connection. Uh, you grew <laughs> up right around the corner from where I had a brownstone for 15 years in Park Slope. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I grew up in Prospect Heights in Brooklyn and... Uh, Still love being back in New York and visiting family, uh, you know, a couple times a year when I can. But, Nothing uh, like it this time of year, that's for sure. Yes, yes. Well, now let's let's educate our audience a little bit with a little countertenor one on one. Many will think of the sound of a countertenor as as the Baroque sound of a castrato. Can you explain to our listeners just what a castrato is and how you are not? And I assume intact. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. A safe assumption, although I have been legitimately asked a few times whether I am a castrato. And, uh, of course, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to mess with you a little bit. So, of course, I say yes, and I, I love the shock on their faces. But, um, no, so we are the kind of artistic heirs of the castrati who um, were really the main drivers of opera's first success and opera's growth as an art form. Uh, they were also the kind of first rock stars uh, and celebrities, really, as we kind of know it within the world of music. Um, they were, as the name implies, castrated men, castrated when they were boys. Um, this, uh, you know, obviously barbaric practice, but uh, produced some really kind of striking sounds. And um, 
physiologically, the way that uh, the body would develop, they ended up with these massive lungs um, because their rib cages were about twice as wide as uh, a normal man's is today. And uh, their waists were really small. So they really were almost like a caricature of a person, but it lent itself to creating some really otherworldly sounds. Um, thankfully, the practice of castration ended, and uh, now we countertenors get to kind of carry the mantle forward. There were some countertenors actually also active alongside the castrati, but um, the castrati were the big stars at the time, and now the countertenors were kind of carrying the baton forward. And we are now blessed with uh, some of this divine music, but which also includes some some challenges because our lungs are half the size mm. <laughs> of the folks for whom it was written. But yeah. uh, we make it work. Well, a little more of the uh, castrato 101. The last great operetta castrato was Giovanni Battista Velluti, who lived until 1861 with the last Sistine Chapel castrato surviving was Alessandro Morris. Moreschi, Moreschi, who yeah. died in 1922, and this went on until the mid 1800s. This whole practice, so yeah, went on a lot longer than I think uh, we would assume. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, it, it, this is also different from a falsetto. Oh, first of all, yeah. for those that are interested, a great movie to learn more: Farinelli. You know, look that yes. up. Yeah. Now, also great different film. from a falsetto, which doesn't have nearly the power of a, of a uh, countertenor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, um, what I sort of strive for as a countertenor is just to create a sound that um, is beautiful and um, in a way it's always going to be distinctively countertenor, but I try to sort of hold myself almost to the standard of a female singer singing in the same range and um, try and create a really natural, beautiful, kind of flowing, strong sound, um, which uh, I think my our kind of current generation of countertenors, so the countertenor voice was only uh, sort of revived starting about 60, 70 years ago. Uh, the first great countertenor kind of revitalizing the voice type was Alfred Deller. And with each generation now, there are more and more of us with different kind of specialties and bringing different uh, types of works to life, really. Well, we should mention also that the very word falsetto means false voice, where a countertenor, you're using your full voice. Exactly. So that's yeah. hence a little bit more power with, with training, of course. Um, speaking of that brotherhood, tell us more about the three countertenor concert, most recently <laughs> last week at the Teatro dell'Opera di Roma. The premise being a, a nod to the outrageously popular three tenor tour of Domingo Carreras and Pavarotti. Yes, it was an amazing time. Um, I think the, the most enjoyable night of my career so far, uh, without a doubt. It was really just uh, kind of shocking and striking how much people enjoyed it. I've never experienced a, a concert with as robust uh, a response. And frankly, I've never been mobbed at a stage tour the way we were. For about 60 seconds, we can almost imagine we actually were at the three tenors as people kind of shoved each other aside for photos. It was really, <laughs> a, it was quite something, but just great um, it, it really kind of this brotherhood of countertenors that I was talking about and how, you know, more and more of us have different sort of specialties. It was really a treat to sing with two amazing Italian countertenors, Carlo Vistoli and Raffaele Pe, and to each kind of showcase our own unique artistry and the type of music that we personally love to sing and then have our voices come together. It was uh, kind of a demonstration in a way of how far the voice type has come in, in recent decades. Does that have some legs, so to speak? Are you going to, you know, market it? So we it? hope. I know our <laughs> managers are talking to different uh, Italian opera houses at least to start, and there's certainly some interest from the other big houses. And I think after seeing a sold-out house in Rome, 
the the intendant, the head of the company, said to us afterwards, he's never seen the opera house so excited. So clearly, light bulbs uh, was, are going was, off. <laughs> exactly. Maybe this will have some legs, as you said. Yeah, great. We're hoping. Well, as you mentioned, unlike the Castrati, the merry band of countertenors is doing the opposite of dying off with increased interest and in performance. Thanks not only to you and your teaching, but with colleagues like Jakob Josef Orlinski and, of course, Anthony Roth Costanzo. Absolutely. A lot of uh, amazing countertenors singing right now. And more, more interest in it as well, thanks to your, your guys' work. Now, with the American Bach soloists, she'll be singing a lesser-known Bach work, an early solo cantata, I hope I get this right, Widerstehe doch der Sünde. Uh, yeah, beautifully done. BWV um, 54, early work, which the program annotators say that seductively reminds the congregation of the dangers of sin. <laughs> written, in, written in Weimar in 1714. Give us a little bit more about that. It's true. Um, so, the, well, the real centerpiece of the program is the other uh, cantata, which we'll be doing, Ichaba Genug. Um, and uh, the kind of impetus was to, so Ichaba Genug is this, uh, has, I think, two of the most beautiful arias that Bach ever wrote, two of the most beautiful arias in all of classical music, frankly. The title track, as it were, Ichaba Genug and Schlummert Ein. Um, and the idea was to pair it with a cantata that was quite contrasting, and that's what led us to Widerstehe doch der Sünde, um, which, uh, as you said, is about uh, avoiding sin, but really is um, that somehow inspired Bach to create these really unusual harmonies for him and really kind of virtuosic uh, music about avoiding Satan and the devil and all this stuff. So it just, uh, I think, will really pair beautifully. Um, the other two will just go beautifully together and really showcase the kind of polarity that makes Baroque music uh, so special in my mind. The yeah, just the contrasts, the heightened contrasts you get in these works. These concerts with American box soloists on the 3rd in Belvedere, the 4th in Berkeley, San Francisco on the 5th, and, and Davis on the 6th. Also on the program, the wonderful artists of American box soloists under the direction of another great radio host as well, Jeffrey Thomas, conducting some sonatas of Schmelzer as well as Bieber, and uh, of course a healthy helping of Bach. We had a phone going off in the background here. Jump back to that. Um, again, those concerts go to AmericanBach.org. Um, let's see. I mentioned such a calendar ahead. You're back here next month as well for Handel's Rodelinda as part of English Concert, that concert in 1119, which I'll talk with about my next guest, perhaps have you on as well. So much on your calendar coming up. I mentioned the roasting swan in Carmina Burana. <laughs> Can you give us just a little acapella tease of that for people that don't know what that's like? Absolutely. This is, I'll say, that was the first, Carmina Burana was the first piece when I was in choir in high school um, that I sang in the chorus. This was at LaGuardia High School, the big arts high school in New York, um, that really kind of blew my mind about the drama that you can have in a big grand classical music piece. So now getting to be... <laughs> exactly. It'll be uh, it'll be a real delight with Hans Graf, who's a, a great, great conductor, a real legend. It'll be uh, a nice, uh, nice kind of a nice little moment in the middle of my busy European season to 
as part of a, a nice little six week period, I get back in the States, which I'll be almost a little to. comic relief there. Let's hope you get a good recording out of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amen. Well, uh, I mentioned Rodolinda. We're going to go out with an aria from that uh, handle work masterpiece. And it happens to be a recording that you did with American box soloists. Um, gosh, Arye, I, I hope you keep in touch with us and let's maybe talk in November when you're back for Rodolinda. Would love to. Thanks again for having me on, David. Music of Handel, Rodolinda, sung by, with, with the American box solos, a bit of an introduction, and then you'll hear the voice of um, Aryeh Nussbaum Cohen. And still to come, I'll be talking about the season of the, um, what is it, the uh, 19th forget what number season. Cal Performances is well underway with some amazing music and a variety of programming. I'll talk with Jeremy Gesson shortly. of Rodelinda, Handel. That's a work that's on tour with uh, uh, English Concert, which you'll hear next month, all too soon, next month. Can you believe we're even thinking of that already? End of October. On, on November 19th as part of Cal Performance's continued uh, season, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, amazing stuff going on there as well. And I just witnessed the amazing triplets to Belleville as part of the... Cal performances. It was a live or jazz orchestra led by the composer Benoit Charest last weekend at Zeller Park Hall as Cal performances continued its eclectic, creative 23-24 season. Here to tell us more about that is the executive and artistic director of Cal performances, Jerry Ge- Jeremy Geffen. Prior to his appointment at Carnegie Hall in 2007, Additional stints that Jeremy maintained included venerable establishments like the St. Louis Symphony, the New York Philharmonic, the Aspen Music Festival and School. And before joining Cal Performances in 2019, Jeremy spent more than two decades as an arts administrator and many more years as an arts enthusiastic. Immediately prior to coming to UC Berkeley, he served as Senior Director and Artistic Advisor at Carnegie Hall where he was responsible for the overall program planning and thematic development of the approximately 160 performances that annually comprise the concert season, as well as the creation of a wide range of audience education programs. The music from the triplets of Belleville in the background, which was last weekend, composer Benoit Charest under the direction. What an amazing movie. I thoroughly enjoyed revisiting that. Jeremy, and what, what an, again, what an eclectic thing to include on Cal Performances. 
It was it was a great pleasure for me. I I, I remember seeing that movie in the in the cinemas. And I'm uh, sorry, that dates me. Right, right well, same here. Cinema, right? I think, yeah. um, uh, we could have been dating and, each other for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know the, the the extraordinary role that music plays in, uh, like the, the the character that music is in that uh, that film um, is, is sort of distinguished. It and um, when the opportunity presented itself to present that. The film with uh, with live music, we, we jumped. I, I had forgotten how bizarre and wonderful it is all at <laughs> once. Made all the more alive with the live jazz band, of course. Now, eclectic, I think, is a good word to describe the season of Cal performance. And your guiding hand has been to develop a season concept called Illuminations and programming uh, around that theme. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well... Thanks for asking about that. Um, Illuminations, is, look, one of the things that distinguishes Cal performances, if not the 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 most distinct distinctive factor of uh, uh, about us, is that we are the presenter on, on the campus of UC Berkeley, and we connect the the scholarship that that often happens behind closed doors to the general public that comes to our performances. About half of our audiences uh, are have some uh, connection in their outside life to UC Berkeley and another, uh, but the other half does not. So we have, uh, we're in a unique position to be able to um, not only present the great artists of our time, but to connect them to some of the great thinking that is, uh, that may be happening uh, in, in closed rooms. Uh, And each season we choose a theme that is related to a pressing issue of our time. Uh, and in, in the past, that, that was uh, uh, music and the mind. Uh, last season was human and machine, which was about how humans have always required uh, technology um, or tools to uh, to communicate and express themselves. Um, in the, this season, it is individual and community, and it is. Uh, uh, I think it was, it's, it's always uh, um, an appropriate theme to explore, but perhaps no more than in the current moment uh, of how we define ourselves as individuals um, and and how we take those multiple identities that comprise us and you know there can be conflict within those within our, within ourselves um, and and still find a way to work together as a community um, and a, as a, a planet. And we see this on the stage, uh, f- reflected to us from the stage. Uh, in a performance, um, there, are, there are often multiple uh, performers on stage, and each of them has a, a defined role and uh, to which they bring their, uh, their lived experience and reflect that to uh, to an audience as a cohesive whole, and that can be a model for how we function outside uh, the performance hall. Indeed, it's it's just a, a creative way to draw more people in, which is the whole idea of something for everyone, and and then making it an, an experience that they won't forget. I mentioned the triplets of Belleville last weekend. The Los Angeles Master Chorale is this Saturday at eight. Um, interesting. Again, not just a concert. It's it's called Music to Accompany a Departure, which is having its Bay Area premiere and Cal Performances co-commission. Tell us a little bit about this and the involvement of Peter Sellers. So this, uh, 
This is in some ways uh, a, a follow-up to a project that some some listeners might recall, which was the the Tears of Saint Peter, um, which was based on an uh, Orlando de Lasso piece by the uh, the same name, Lagrime di San Pietro, from um, from the Renaissance. And this uh, Peter uh, Peter Sellers staged that for the LA Master Chorale and has toured that around the world um, to great success, including at Zellerbach Hall in um, in May of, I think it was nineteen. Um, this piece is by. Uh, the Baroque composer Heinrich Schutz, uh, and it's in some ways a, um, it's, it heralds, um, the Brahms Requiem in the, the concept of the secular Requiem that, uh, that it's through a non devotional lens. How do we process grief? Um, and Schutz was prim- primarily known as a, um, a composer of choral music. Most of his works are are either for chorus alone or involve chorus. And this was a piece that was written for uh, for a monarch who wanted to explore. Uh, it was dealing with his own level, uh, his own grief, and wanted to to process that. Um, and so Peter Peter had the idea to stage that work for the LA Master Chorale who will um, perform it alone on the Zellerbach Hall stage and uh, it premiered last season so it's a it's a relatively new piece and you know I think it's it is a very reflective piece of music it covers a lot of ground but I think that if you're looking for a cathartic experience that processes uh, the complexity of the current moment that might it might be just what we need we all need that's this saturday at eight calperformances.org for more information on that uh some solo recitals coming as well uh piano uh michelle can cello shiku kana mason as well as uh harpsichord recital by jean rondeau um and on november 4th john cameron mitchell and amber martin in what <laughs> seems like a, it could be a very fun evening called cassette roulette absolutely that's uh, i i I think one of the one of the last performances before um, the the lockdown was uh, John Cameron Mitchell uh, revisiting Hedwig and the Angry Itch, which which was his great great greatest uh, hit, um, and which is having some Bay Area performances coming up fairly recently as well. Um, this is his longtime uh, co-conspirator and collaborator uh, Amber Martin, a great cabaret artist in. A what will be a, a an irreverent, uh, uh, perhaps even incendiary, um, <laughs> but definitely hilarious uh, uh, and countercultural <laughs> experience. Um, he he doesn't pull any punches. <laughs> I would love to see a portrait of someone that goes to all of the Cal performances perform, uh, performances because that would be a very unique individual. And like I mentioned, we we, we something have for several. Everyone. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> frequent frequent flyers. I'm sure. Uh, early music from the consort on Wednesday, November eighth. The San Francisco Symphony jumps the pond, as they would say. I guess they're jumping the bay. Uh, Espeka Salonen with Carrie Bell on Friday, November tenth, bringing their program of music by Esapekka Salonen, as well as Jens Ibsen's Drowned in Light, the world premiere of which, and the Stravinsky Symphony in Three Movements, that on Friday, November 10th. Uh, the 12th sees the 
string quartet, um, Kristen Chenoweth coming in November, uh, Silk Road Ensemble with Rhiannon Gibbons on Friday, November 17th. Tell us about that performance. Well, um, this is actually the first performance in, in our Illuminations series this, this season, um, American Railroad. And it, um, this is about the many uh, often un- unsung uh, communities that, uh, sorry for the pun of uh, unsung, um, uh, that, that actually built uh, the Transcontinental Railroad. And it's particularly uh, appropriate for this area, uh, considering the role that the city of Oakland um, uh, played in the in its construction um this is the the first appearance we've had the silk road ensemble for um for many years at at cal performances um with their previous artistic director and founder yo-yo ma um as well as uh in, in performances without him uh and this is the first time that they are appearing with their new artistic director rhiannon giddens who uh is no doubt well known to your listeners um not not least because uh, uh her her opera um uh, omar is having its uh bay area premiere the, the next month at, at san francisco opera indeed um, i was going to do a little cross promotion there <laughs> <laughs> um it's a great piece i i saw it in los angeles i've already got my tickets for for for, for november um as but she's she is a musical polyglot, literally. Um, I heard a recital that she gave at the Ojai Festival uh, in June in which she sang in in so many languages, including a, a few surprising ones like Japanese. Um, she's a, a great historian of American musical traditions and specifically African-American musical traditions and a, a great virtuoso uh, on uh, the banjo as well as being an extraordinary vocalist and the sort of person that you think, I don't even know why I bother. Um, she can do everything so well. <laughs> what well, was it Tom Lehrer's great comment that when he was talking about Mozart and he was talking about um, uh, Mahler and he said, it's people like this that make you realize how little you've accomplished. <laughs> and he said, he went on and said, like, it's a sobering thought, for instance, that when Mozart was my age, he had been dead for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, what, what's, re- what's been great about the past, uh, past couple of, well, she's had a, a great podcast, Aria Code for the Metropolitan Opera, which is extraordinary. Everyone, everyone should check it out. Um, but her celebrity in uh, outside of the cognoscenti has risen so extraordinarily over the last five years and uh, it's it's really wonderful to watch someone uh that talented receive the acclaim they deserve and that's one of the reasons we present so many debut recitals because uh you never know who the next great artist you can't you didn't know you can't live without um will be Hmm, and indeed. it's our role. Watch this space, by the way, for information. We'll have a guest or two on, perhaps Rhiannon, for a discussion of San Francisco's production of uh, Omar coming up in the next couple of weeks. And then speaking of more cross-pollination, we're like slings and arrows on both directions here. I mentioned the English concert, Henry uh, Harry Bickett coming along with uh, Arie Nussbaum Cohen to perform Handel's Rodelinda on the 19th of November. And there's so much more. Of course, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus is going to jump across as well for a holiday, their amazing holiday spectacular on Sunday, December 17th. And uh, that's just half of the season. We're going to have to have you back. And, of course, some artists from Cal Performances to uh, discuss what's coming up on in the spring. 
Well, uh, it, you know, one of the things that that att- attracted me most to this perform uh, th- uh, this place is the extraordinary um, variety of presentation that um, that Cal Performances puts on, and that the audience expects. Um, uh, it's it's a great pleasure to be able to. Uh, to paint with such a, a broad, uh, big brush on it, such a broad canvas, and uh, I, uh, I don't think there is an audience uh, in in the world like uh, like the Bay Area audience. Thank you, Jeremy Giddens. We'll have you on again to talk more about Cal Performances. CalPerformances.org. A link at our website as well. One of the groups that's going to be performing on Saturday, November 11th, is the Brad Meldow Trio, which we're hearing in the background. Jeremy, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. usual on the arts too many things going on to give everyone quite credit today by the way is world opera day also coming up valerie trout under the auspices of the paul drescher ensemble and studio they'll be performing at the drescher ensemble studio on sunday the 29th san francisco playhouse is continuing its production of nollywood dreams by jocelyn bio sfplayhouse.org San Francisco Opera has just two performances of Lohengrin remaining until they get into their Omar groove. The San Francisco Jazz Discover Series, for the record, continues the great jazz labels with instructor Terrence Brewer, guitarist, on several Wednesdays, all Wednesdays in October, SF, uh, November, sfjazz.org. And the American, African-American Shakespeare Company is presenting Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman, as directed by Ted Langa. That's at the Tauby Atrium Theater on Van Ness Avenue, african-americanshakes.org for more information. The San Francisco Symphony continues its season with The Planets. That'll be conducted by... Uh, Ilim Chan for performances this week. Uh, go to sfsymphony.org for more information on that. And let's go out with some music. Sadly, Mars, the bringer of war, but nonetheless incredible music by Gustav Holst from the planets.
from Gustav Hole's The Planets, which you can hear with the San Francisco Symphony this weekend, Mars, the bringer of war. Let's go with a little softer version of Gustav Hole's and Venus, the bringer of peace. Thank you for listening to On the Arts, and thank you to Janice Lee for producing. Our shows are archived at KALW.org. You can send me a message. I'm David at KALW.org. Just one final footnote to today's show. If you'll recall, last week I had as my guest the creator and director of Song of the North, Hamid Ramanian, who did these performances of the amazing 500 different shadow puppets, nine actors involved in the production out at the Presidio. Well, sadly, there's a good, there's a happy ending to this, but sadly they had their U-Haul parked at a Tenderloin Hotel parking lot and the truck was stolen. So, fortunately, someone in the East Bay watched a TV2 news report about the stolen U-Haul and spotted it in Richmond. Um, and he told us, uh, Hamid told us, that while it seems that some of the electronics were stolen, projectors and things, and with everything in disarray, nonetheless, most of the show will indeed go on to their Seattle sold-out audiences. So, a happy ending to a bad situation, and we hope that doesn't discourage Hamid from coming back and bringing us his magic. That is On the Arts for this week. I'm David LaTulip. Our theme was written and stolen with permission by Paul Drescher. <laughs>